Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for being with us today. We have an incredible show for you today. We're going to talk about the office market. First, we're going to talk about the office market fundamentals, vacancy, uh, rental rates, and what's happening there, what the trends are, and what we expect to see moving forward. Then we'll talk about the investment market, some cap rate trends, and what we expect for volume and cap rates down the road, especially as um, interest rates increase, or what we, we hope will increase over the next year or so as the economy improves. We'll also talk about some strategies to help landlords increase NOI through more effective leasing. And then finally, we'll share how a property owner was able to monetize this property without selling it without violating some pretty strict loan covenants that were in place. Well, let's get started. Please welcome my first guest. It's Walter Page. He's Director of Research with the CoStar Group. Walter, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Well, Walter, tell us how has the office market around the U.S. overall performed so far in in this last quarter and year to date? So while vacancies achieved a business cycle low of 10.5 in 16Q3, and year-over-year rent growth is 3.6%, which is well over inflation, we are seeing a general slowing in the market. For example, the rate of the vacancy decline has slowed to 0.5% on a year-over-year basis compared to a peak a rate of decline of 0.7% uh, year-over-year uh, a few years ago. The quarterly net absorption rate, which in this third quarter was 25 million square feet, which was a good number, was down 13% from the year earlier. And rent growth, which was 3.6%, as I mentioned earlier, that's down from a peak of 4.4%. So clearly we've seen a slowing. In fact, in 29 of our 54 top markets, they reported a decline in absorption in 16Q3 as opposed to 15Q3. And 24 of those 54 top markets recorded a slowing in rent growth versus the prior year. So this is a broad-based thing. Uh, So what is causing that is a very interesting thing. We we can't pinpoint it on any one thing, but we can see a couple general trends. We see that, first, the energy market in Houston has seen a 57% decline in net absorption over the past four quarters from the year before. We've seen a similar rate of decline in San Jose and Austin, and San Francisco's net absorption is down 29%. So in some respects, we're seeing slowing happening in tech markets and energy markets, but not all. Oklahoma City saw a rise in absorption, Seattle saw a rise in absorption, and Boston had basically flat in absorption. So it could be some other factors that's causing a slowing, such as falling corporate profits for the last five quarters, demographics of, of, you know, slowing workforce population growth, tight labor supply, uh, and just the general maturity of this market cycle. Well, that's interesting. So it's still positive numbers, but the growth is just not as strong. So what about other cities like, like Boston and New York and D.C.? What do you see there? So when we look across the other cities, uh, first, I see two cities that are, are struggling. Uh, It's actually New York and Washington. Uh, For both New York and Washington, over the last four quarters, they've had less than 100,000 square feet of positive net absorption. And remember, New York and Washington are our biggest and our second biggest uh, office markets in the country. So those numbers are just really, really uh, 
terrible. Right. Uh, and the rent growth out of Washington was only 1.2%. The rent growth out of New York was only 2.9%. So in contrast, we have markets like, okay, so Boston's had 4.9 million square feet in absorption over the past year. Dallas, 5 million square feet. Los Angeles, 4.9 million square feet. Phoenix, which had been doing terribly, is doing 5.3 million square feet, the most of any big market across the country. Well, excuse me, Seattle is another market doing really well with 5.5 million square feet. So, in essence, some of these uh, smaller um, big city markets are, are, are doing better than the, the top two markets. Well, it seems like, you know, with the slow growth of the economy that the company should be expanding. Do you suspect that any of this little bit of a slowdown, if you will, is caused by this last past third quarter, what we're seeing on television with the and, and the news with the uh, presidential election? Are some companies like, hey, wait a minute, let me see what's going on here? Well, I think that happens in, in Washington, D.C., every presidential election season. So uh, we can almost basically say that. Uh, in fact, for the quarter, uh, the third quarter, Washington, D.C. only had, had negative uh, absorption of 40,000 square feet. Um, that could be happening in other um, firms across the country, especially firms that might have ties to the government. You know, if you're, if you're a defense contractor and things like that, I, I would say you're definitely. Um, but I also think it's the maturity of this business cycle. Interesting. Well, what do you expect moving forward, Walter? Is this uh, slow growth going to continue? What, what do you think? Uh, well, okay, so we expect vacancy rates to continue to decline. We're 10.5 today. We think they're going to bottom out between 10% and 10.2 in early 2018 on a national basis. Now, of course, it depends on which market you're in. Uh, Houston, obviously, is having rising vacancy rates. We expect rent growth... Uh, will slow. It's 3.6% on a year-over-year basis, and we expect between 3 and 2% rent growth in 2017 to 2019. Uh, we expect net absorption will continue to slow, demographically driven, and we expect uh, a modest increase in construction um, activity. So, Walter, where do you think, what do you think the markets are around the U.S. that they could potentially experience the most um, growth in performance? In general, the markets that could experience the most growth in performance are likely to be actually some of the suburban markets um, and also likely to be uh, second-tier markets uh, ac across the country. Uh, so, you know, that's on a general basis. What we're seeing is a leveling of the playing field. In essence, tech and energy was the growth markets of the past, and now we're starting to see the housing bust markets and the, and the other markets actually pay catch up. So our, our general view is markets of the southeast United States and the western United States are going to generally outperform, uh, especially in markets that have had limited construction uh, up to date, such as the Florida markets in particular. Okay. And if you're advising a company, generally speaking, around the U.S. that's entering to a new lease, would you suggest going long on their term or maybe short on their term to see what happens with the office market down the road? 
Well, it depends on the market that you're in. True. If you're in a market like San Francisco, where you've seen rents uh, more than double since the recession ended, I would suggest that you may be clearly at the top of the market because you have six to seven million square feet of construction underway, and that the, the likelihood of uh, further rapid rent increases is, is diminished. So I would go short in the San Francisco. But in a, a market that uh, still hasn't fully recovered, uh, such as Atlanta, uh, many of the Florida markets, uh, even Phoenix, I, I would suggest uh, going long uh, on, on a lease at this point. Okay. And you mentioned construction seems to be a little slow. What do you expect for construction levels, new supply moving forward? So uh, construction activity is expected to um, slowly ramp up over the next uh, few years. Over the past uh, year, we had 64 million square feet of completions, uh, and we would expect that number to rise to about 80 million square feet uh, in the years ahead. Uh, that's in comparison, net absorption on a nationwide basis this, over the past year was 95 million square feet and we expect that to slow uh, closer to 60 to 70 million square feet by 2018, 2019. Okay. Well, we're talking with Walter Page about the office market. He is with the CoStar Group. We're talking about the performance of the market. We're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to ask Walter about the investment sales market. What kind of volume are we seeing? Are we seeing more foreign investors? And what are some cap rate trends that he's seeing in some various markets around the country? And what does he expect to see for cap rates moving forward? And uh, we appreciate you watching or listening. And if you're watching us on YouTube, we ask you to subscribe so you don't miss a show of special interest to you. And if you go to our website at commercialrealestateshow.com, you can sign up for a once-a-week email announcing the show topic each week. You surely want to do that so you don't miss a show of special interest to you. So stay with us. We'll be right back with Walter Page. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about the office market. My guest is Walter Page. He's with the CoStar Group. And Walter, what about sales volume, investment sales volume? It seems like the office market seems to be pretty popular in the markets that we serve in the Southeast. What are you seeing for volume? So while you're seeing uh, popular uh, sales volume in the Southeast, we're actually on a nationwide basis, we're seeing about a 15% decline from your earlier levels in the first three quarters of this year. Uh, that is slightly worse than the national total for all property types. Uh, when we go out and talk to um, clients and things like that, they're telling us that the buyer pools are generally less. You know, and they used to in the past might have had 20 buyers, potential buyers. Today they have five, 10, maybe one. Uh, and so, the market is definitely uh, thinner in terms of uh, transaction volumes. Well, that's interesting. So what's that doing to cap rates? What do you see year-to-date on cap rate trends? So 
rates are generally pretty stable. Uh, for office cap rates, they're right now at about five six on for institutional uh, top of the line type properties in in top markets. Uh, that is the lowest point in this market cycle, so they are pretty richly priced. Uh, we would expect to see the cap rates uh, rise going forward uh, in magnitude of maybe five eight um, by. So 20 basis points up by 2018, as we expect some interest rate increases also. Okay. So that's not much of an increase, though, in the cap rate. So you're not expecting, I guess, interest rates to rise too quickly. Well, you know, we think that there's going to be a, a low pass-through rate from the increase in interest rates. And, and from what, what I mean by that is the market is anticipating that interest rates are going to go up. And so... We've already had a, a quarter basis point increase in the federal funds rate. We would anticipate another one sometime. I'm not going to tell you when. <laughs> um, but we think the market is, anticipates that. If, if we have multiples of those, then that would uh, become an issue. But I think that it's not really a big uh, fear given low inflation rates and uh, competitive pressures from you know, foreign countries and things like that. Okay. And since you guys study this so well, Walter, and do such a good job tracking uh, all the investment sales markets and, and the office market we're talking about today, so let me give you uh, a scenario and see what you think uh, where cap rates might wash out. Let's say we're uh, two years from now and interest rates are, let's say for discussion, 200 basis points higher to full 2% but still demand's pretty good for office market. Where do you think cap rates could, uh, could adjust to? Okay, so first thing, if interest rates are up 200 basis points from today, that is because of good things in the economy. Right. And that means that the economy is doing really well and that uh, landlords can pass along rent increases and things like that to tenants. Uh, needless to say, office in all real estate has to compete with the broader capital markets. They, they need to. So if interest rates were to rise 200 basis points, I could, I could see at least a 50 to even 100 basis point increase in office cap rates. But that might not necessarily mean that you had value declines, right. principally because you would have growth in NOI and you have growth in rents that might offset that increase. Right. Assuming you're talking about properties where you can adjust the rents pretty quickly, not, you're not in long-term leases, right? Yeah, but, you know, even so, investors, you know, if you know that you have embedded rent growth, you, you, you might price in that uh, increase right. into your future um, sales. That's right. And you're buying it for a long-term investment. And you mentioned foreign investors, uh, Walter. So what do you expect moving forward? Do you think the foreign investment uh, so far this year, what do you see? And what do you expect moving forward for demand? Okay, so foreign investors make up about 15% of the direct real estate investment in the United States. That's up, you know, double from what it was in, in the recent past. Uh, that does not even count the foreign investment in real estate funds and things like that. So that 15% number could easily be over 20, 25% of investment activity could be from foreign-related entities. Uh, the, the top foreign-related entities, I mean, Canada is, is huge. 
we have Western Europe is huge, and the Chinese are, are also big uh, investors in uh, the United States. And with that foreign investment is part of the reason why we have cap rates at the lowest levels that they've um, been in this business cycle. And do you think that uh, foreign investment demand will subside some or stay level, or what do you think? I think it's it's going to actually increase. Um, You know, some of these countries have demographics that uh, say that they're going to continue to contribute money um, to investments and things like that. Uh, So, you know, places with uh, younger workforces and things like that, like uh, Korea, I think will actually invest more. We have some other places that probably won't because of their demographics of their market, but uh, for the most part, I think everyone perceives the United States as that safe haven, and I think that the foreign investment in the United States is here to stay. Right, and I've got a, we're working with a, one of the foreign investors we're working with, you know, they want four cities in the U.S., and that's it. <laughs> Do you see that some of this foreign money may come to more of the, the second-tier uh, cities and markets around the country, or are they going to just stay in these gateways? Well, you know, the old saying is foreign investors do not take connecting flights. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't necessarily think that because we've, we've seen situations where we actually see some of these foreign investors go into not only second-tier markets but tertiary markets. Uh, but they, uh, they're like other people. They want to have a, a premium for, for doing that. Uh, needless to say, I still think the majority of the money is going to go to the top markets. In fact, when we look at the numbers, New York is the number one market where foreign investors go. It's like 30% of the volume is, is foreign investment dollars in New York. Uh, you know, so clearly that is the number one target where, where we see the foreign investors wanting to go. Right. Well, Walter, if you had $20 million and you told me to go out today and find you some office investment opportunities that had a combination of, of growth and uh, immediate yield cap rate-wise, what cities might you tell me to go look at? So first thing, I would be focused on, on a value-add investment, probably close in suburban market with good schools. Those are the markets that have not had the huge price appreciation, but we're starting to see a narrowing of the return differences. Uh, in fact, we just pulled some numbers out of NACREF, and the, the return difference between suburban markets and CBD markets has basically gone to zero from around two percentage points just a few years ago. So both markets right now on NACREF returns are about 9.3%. Uh, I would like to focus on markets that have rent upside uh, with limited construction. So those would be many of the Florida markets. Uh, Orlando, Tampa shows up really well. Uh, Atlanta shows up uh, fairly well. Phoenix, if you pick the right places, uh, those would be um, some of my top picks. All right. Well, good tip, Walter. Thanks for joining us. If you want more information on the office market, check out the CoStar Group. I'm Michael Bull. This is Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. We'll have more on the U.S. office market. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. 
Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about the office market. Please welcome my next guest. It's Jack Miller. He's co-founder of Quick Liquidity. He's joining us on Skype. Jack, thanks for being with us. Michael, it's always great to see you and your great audience. You have the best audience in the whole world. You know, I... Real estate and your audience is the place to be. I agree with you. I, we do have a great audience of intelligent people all over the country and in some cases all over the world want to know about the U.S. markets. Well, let's talk about a real deal that you guys did recently at Quick Liquidity. So set us up a little bit. So someone had a, uh, an office property. Uh, they were looking to pull out equity, but they had some challenges. That's correct. They had a beautiful Class A office building. It was about 77,000 square feet, um, northeast area of the country. Uh, they've owned it for a while. They had a CMBS loan on it, about 9.8, 9.7 million in debt. The loan precluded them from having any secondary financing. But they had uh, a the lot building, of equity, right? They had the building. They they believe and they had an appraisal for 20 million bucks. So they had a heck of a lot of equity. But like a lot of our customers, they have big balance sheets, but they don't have a lot of cash. So we came in. They needed cash for another project. We came in uh, when we did a preferred equity recapitalization deal. So we gave them the cash they needed um, and it was in compliance with the loan terms and they were happy. We were happy. Everyone was happy. So tell and us well, what was in the CMBS loan that kind of precluded them from doing it a different way. Well, what we're seeing in CMBS deals, life deals, and a lot of financing deals that the lenders say, the first senior lenders say, there's no, not a secondary financing allowed on the deal. So they really lock it down. So the people have equity. They don't want to sell. They have huge prepayment penalties or defeasance issues. So they really can't sell. Um, and the equity on the balance sheet makes them, it feels good. It looks good, but they can't spend it. And uh, we gave we give them gave them and give them capital they need to actually spend. We give them greenbacks, so to speak, <laughs> so they can make use of it. And they also had some limitations about what kind of partners they could bring in, right? That's correct. In this case, they had pre-negotiated that they can only sell forty nine percent of it. They needed to be a fifty one percent majority. So our deal was structured as equity. We gave them the right to buy us back. So we're partners, but anytime they want, they could buy us out. So in that way, it's structured as debt, but right. it's equity. Right. And the original owner of this office property, though, they kept the management, they kept the leasing, they keep control of the asset, right? They keep total control, and in all our deals, we have zero control. Uh, we want to be in the backseat our partners and we look for partners that are really superior operators. This particular operator owns, you know, millions and millions of square feet. They're a big company. They're a great company. Frankly, they'd be much better operators than we are. If we think that we can do a better job, it, the deal's not for us. We sit back, <laughs> like we, we advance the money, we collect our checks, and we try to shut up. Okay. Now, were they the only owner of this property? Did they have uh, some other limited partners already in the deal? Uh, in this particular case, they were the only owner. But in a lot of our cases, we're one of many LPs in the deals. Well, that's kind of interesting. So you just own a, a building and you don't have to have it set up as a general limited partnership type deal. You might be able to sell uh, kind of a limited partnership interest uh, later down the road to someone like you to bring in some equity because you have that equity sitting in your building and it's not doing anything, right? 
That's exactly right. Uh, we come in a lot of times where they either need money for another project and they want to tap the equity or they need money for tenant improvement, leasing commissions or whatever. Any number of reasons. They just need the capital and we can uh, provide the capital to them. Okay. And the partnership. Right. And how long does that process take, for example, that one? Uh, that loan, uh, we literally got that loan, I think, like on a Friday. We issued a term sheet, which they accepted on a Monday. Um, we closed that loan in 30 days, but only because they had to give the CMBS lender 30-day notification of change of ownership. If not, it would have probably closed in two, two and a half weeks. Okay. So you're calling it a loan, so but, a, but is it a loan or a limited partnership interest? It's equity. It's equity. Equity. Okay. It's preferred equity. Okay. And how is it secured? Uh, there's no security. There's okay. no second mortgage. We get a K-1 um, and we own a piece of the partnership until they buy us out. Okay. So you're really just so, a, you're just a quiet partner. Very quiet and, and a very quiet LP, limited partner. Right. Okay. And what advice would you give? Well, we're out of time. <laughs> so we'll have to have you back, right? What a tease that is. <laughs> that's a, that's a that's a date, Michael. All right. Well, well, thanks for joining us, Jack. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone, and we love you. Thank you. All right. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the U.S. office market, uh, including some more information about uh, leasing space, increasing NOI, about cap rates, and uh, market performance. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Are you in commercial real estate brokerage? Check out Apto. Created by and for commercial real estate brokers, Apto is the leading web-based platform for managing relationships, properties, listings, deals, and back office. Visit apto.com slash CRE show. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about the U.S. office market. My guest is Barbara Denham. She's an economist with REITs. Barbara, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Good well, to be here. Well, Barbara, some people think that the office market should not be doing that well. You know, we keep hearing that people are working at home, they're telecommuting, they are sharing desks, they're using less square footage per person. But, uh, you know, what do you see? What have you seen so far this year for a performance in the office market? Well, we're seeing a uh, flat vacancy rate, which has been driven by low net absorption offset by positive con construction. So the good news is developers aren't overbuilding, and net absorption has been positive. So demand growth is there. It's just been much slower than it, we had expected, and it's a little bit slower than it was last year. And that's why the vacancy rate has stayed flat. It's about 16% right now which is not great when you think about how strong, how long we've been in this recovery. But, again, it should be going down further. I think most of the recent quarterly uh, market trends have been driven by the first quarter, which was very muted. There's a bit of a delay between, say, job growth and economic performance and office leasing. And the fact that the job growth has picked up in the second and third quarter we will see stronger net absorption in the fourth quarter this year and perhaps the first quarter next year. Well, that would be good. Do you expect that, that there's any relation to the office market uh, vacancy and, and performance 
with the the contentious presidential election we're having or any of the business owners and leaders kind of looking at this and going, wait a minute, let me see what's going to happen? Yeah, I think there's definitely a bit of that. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of pressure to get a lease signed this month or next. So tenants are really driving the show here. I don't think landlords have as much of a hold on the market as tenants do. So, yeah, to the extent that they can put off uh, making a leasing decision uh, until after the presidential election, I think we're seeing a lot of that in the third quarter. Okay. And you talked about 16% vacancy overall, and that's for several classes around the country. For our listeners that are driving down the road, maybe they're in another sector, 16%, is that pretty normal historically, or where does that uh, lie there? Well, we've been in this recovery now for not seven, seven and a half years, and to only be at 16% with this deep into the recovery isn't great. I think we've seen vacancy rate go below 10% in prior recoveries. But I have to say, rent growth has been positive, and the fact that the office market has been growing at a slow and steady rate, it means that rent growth has not accelerated. It's steady, but it's not stellar. It's not robust. And that means it's more affordable for more users. So in a lot of markets, when rent growth would grow, and it would increase 5% a quarter, 10% a year, it would drive out a lot of smaller businesses. So I think this is a healthier market overall. That being said, I think 16% is surprisingly high given how long we have been in this recovery. Okay. You sound like our tenant reps here at our, our shop. So what do you expect moving forward for performance? Well, I think what we one trend we've seen over this recovery is the square footage leased per added employee has fallen, and I think that trend will reverse. Um, you know, people have been sharing space, and landlords have been leasing less space per employee, but at some point, that's got to give. So we do see net absorption picking up. As I mentioned, job growth was very strong in June and July. That should continue in the fourth quarter. So we see net absorption picking up on a absolute level and also on a relative level. We think with the job growth, landlords will be leasing somewhat more square footage per employee. And do you think that's because of recruiting and retention, uh, because the job market's improving? Why do you think companies will use more square footage per person? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, consider space like an amenity. It's like, you know, wage growth is going up because the uh, slack in the employment supply has run out. So the, um, you know, employers have to, A, pay their employees more because there's more competition, the unemployment rate is lower, and they have to offer more amenities like space and, um, you know, elbow things room. like that. Right, elbow <laughs> room. So, again, and the millennials who tolerated smaller space, they're getting older, and they want yeah. more elbow room, as you said. Yeah, well, it makes sense. Well, what are you seeing in the investment market, and what do you think we'll see moving forward there for the office sector? Well, the investors, they like the office market. It's not as strong as the apartment market. Cap rates have been low, but they're not trending lower like the apartment market is. There's some risk um, in the overall global economy. It started with Brexit. Uh, so we've seen office cap rates stay flat, whereas apartments, Apartment cap rates have been falling. I think the foreign investors prefer the apartment markets, but we're still seeing plenty of um, office investors in a lot of markets. The real, a lot of it is geographical. Some markets are just doing better than others. Yeah. What are some sample cap rates you're seeing in the office market? Mm, about 4%. four percent. Wow. 
Four or five percent. Yeah, that's pretty low. But it's again, apartment market's about three percent. Yeah. And so if you're crystal, you looked in your crystal ball, uh, two years from now, office cap rate, what would you expect? Well, it depends upon interest rates. You know, if interest rates go up, that's a very positive sign that uh, the economy is doing better. And if the economy is doing better and interest rates go up, cap rates generally go up a bit. Um, that's because of the cost of capital that goes into the calculation of the cap rate. So they could go up, but again, that's not necessarily a sign that the risk has gone up. It's just more of a sign of the interest rate climate. Right, right. Well, good point. Well, Barbara, thanks for joining us on the Commercial Real Estate Show. We appreciate you being with us. My pleasure. All right, and stay tuned. We're going to have more on the office market. And next, I'm going to talk to a guest that's going to help you if you own commercial real estate to talk about ways to increase NOI through more effective leasing. Uh, you, if you own commercial real estate, you know finding the right tenants, finding more tenants is really the name of the game. So stay with us for that. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. What are you doing October 24th and 25th? Well, come see us at CCIM Thrive, the national CCIM event of the year. Covering hot topics like crowdfunding and big data, this is the one industry event you cannot miss. Visit CREshow.com and look for CCIM Thrive. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Well, on this show, we've been talking about the office market, but next we're going to show you some ways to lease more space and have more occupancy in any type of building, including office buildings. Please welcome my next guest. is Sean Williams. Sean is VP of the National Office Group with Bull Realties. Joining us here in Studio One, Sean, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks, Michael. Sean, I've seen you take some vacant, large buildings that had too much vacancy, and and fill those with great tenants pretty quickly. So for our listeners and viewers around the country that may have a building that does have too much vacancy, what are some things that you would look at uh, at their property to kind of get an idea of where they might improve performance? Sure. Uh, we look at three things, really. First, we look at the how competitive is this property in the marketplace? How does it compare with other buildings of similar size and quality? The rate, the incentives that the landlord's offering. Uh, TI contributions, uh, leasing commissions to their brokers and the outside tenant brokers. Um, you know, how how it looks um, compared to other buildings. Right, it's got to show well, right? It's got to show well. So yeah. if there are problems with the parking lot or the facade or anything like that, we, we look at those things and help advise the owner. All right, so that's number one, yeah. grouping. What's number two, grouping? So we look at the marketing. We see how it looks like uh, on the internet. Um, you know, is it is it out there everywhere? Is it just on one or two sites that the brokers see? Um, and, you know, if it, if it needs to be out there everywhere, which we put, you know, properties everywhere we possibly can on several hundred websites. So we look and see, is it exposed like it should be? Right, because some people think, well, maybe it's in CoStar or Excelligent, maybe we're okay. But there's a lot of other places uh, to market office properties, and some of these tenants are looking directly. Sure, they're looking directly. And so the third thing that we look at really is who's doing the leasing for the landlord? Are they being very proactive? Are they just waiting for the phone to ring? 
um, how many you know how many services did they actually take the time to put it on and did they do a a nice package for the property that that shows off the features of the building right so what's some examples of the landlord rep whether they're in-house or third party being proactive so one of the things i mean the easy button is to be um, very responsive to any interest whatsoever uh, generating proposals and lois and i think that's a big problem i've seen that rep in tenants where i'm calling landlord reps and it seems like seven out of ten are just really slow to to respond so I don't understand how you can be too slow to um, serve your t- your landlord well. Yeah. You, you know, that's what you're hired to do. So yeah. you have to do it very proactively. Yeah. What's some other examples of being proactive if you're a landlord rep to get tenants? Well, just returning calls quickly mm-hmm. and um, making outgoing calls. You're, you're really, your job, you're you hired. You don't just wait for the phone to ring? <laughs> you, can't, you can't just wait for the phone to ring. I mean, you can contact tenants directly, yeah. and we do. We, we call them. We send letters. We do other things. You of, just don't wait for the tenant reps to bring you tenants? Well, <laughs> that happens from time to time, but yeah. we also go after the outliers and the other you know tenants that... Uh, you know, may not be working with a broker. So we, we try to go after everything we can for the landlord. Yeah. And what about being proactive with uh, proposals on landlord? I've talked to some landlord, landlords reps, and they're kind of waiting for me to do a letter of intent from my tenant. Sure. Well, that's great, but um, you can also send a proposal out, and we'd like to have a landlord look at it, but you get it out to the tenant as soon as you can if you want to be in play with the property. So that's another thing you can do as a landlord rep to really help them secure more tenants. Yeah, well, that makes sense. You know, it's a sales 101. There's sometimes people are ready to buy, and you just got to reach out to them and get it going. Sean, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And thanks for joining us on one of the stations around the country, or maybe you're watching on YouTube or listening on iTunes or one of the uh, Potomatic type of stations. So thanks for being with us. Or maybe you're watching or listening on the Commercial Real Estate Show. We appreciate you being with us. Also, make sure you subscribe to our show on YouTube and make sure you subscribe on our show website for the weekly email topic. That will tell you what each show is going to be about and who's going to be on the show and have a link to the podcast. And thanks for being with us. Be sure and join us next week. We're talking about the apartment market, the multifamily market has been changing you want to be with us next week until next week be sure that you always lead learn and laugh and join us for the commercial real estate show the commercial real estate show is brought to you by bull realty asset and occupancy solutions excelligent building data everywhere valuate online investment analysis First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. APTO, the CRM for commercial brokers. You're invited to contact these companies through the show website, CREshow.com.